0: So hello again, welcome back to another episode of Formula 101. This is another of my quick mini-series discussions. I call this Driver Spotlight. As I was planning this, I almost thought, you should have really called it Driver of the Day, considering, you know, during the races, they have the Driver of the Day voting, where you can pick um, who who gets that title. I thought that was uh, poor thinking on my end. Um, But nonetheless, as a refresher, these are just quick 15 minutes. I pick one driver from all of racing and F1 history to give you a rundown of their stats, background, legacy they left behind to kind of round out your picture of Formula One beyond just who we see on the grid today. So, you know, it seems that I always say when I'm doing these, oh, this driver is regarded by many as one of the best, which, yes, that's true. That's kind of partially the point of this series is to show you who a lot of people kind of group under that title. Um, but I know it's also very subjective as to who, can, who who's considered the best by whoever, or the goat, if you will. And today, the driver I'm talking about does fit into that mold, but I also wanted to Or I also thought there really was more of a delineation with this racer from at least what I have perceived and experienced as this person being one of the most beloved. Um, He was taken from the racing world prematurely and probably before he could have achieved all that he was capable of, but is very, very fondly remembered by the community even by the current drivers on the grid, and this is Ayrton Senna. So I'm going to chat about um, his background, go through his stats, and a little bit um, of his legacy and what he left behind. So uh, Senna was Brazilian born in March of 1960, and over the course of his career, he won three world titles the first in 1988, second in 1990, and the final in 1991. He participated in 162 races. He got 65 poles, 41 wins, 80 podiums, 19 fastest laps, and 614 points over the course of his whole career. So he started racing at Interlagos, which... Interlagos is the same place. There is a track in Brazil that they will race at that is known by the same name. Senna entered a karting competition at the age of 13. So wasn't super, super young, but he would win a kind of regional South American kart championship in 1977. And he would also participate in the karting world championships each year from 1978 to 1982, finishing runner up in two of those years. So after that, as many of the young drivers do even today, he had to make the move to Europe to get into the bigger, more international reaching competitions. So he's found his way over to England and would begin to work his way into the single-seater series there. And he would do very well and win several of the smaller series that he entered in. Uh, but actually Senna kind of almost ended his career pretty quickly um, by his own volition. He didn't quite think that he would continue racing after that. His family was more vocal in asking him to come back to Brazil and engage with the family business. And it was only after a sponsorship offer from a Formula Ford 2000 team, which again is, is another, I know there's a million and one formula series it seems, but that is kind of this one is in the same realm. I can't quite give you the details, but it's a, it's a smaller series. And with that sponsorship offer, he decided to stay in England and continue driving. So in 1983, Senna would drive in the British Formula Three championships. And in the same year, he was offered test drives for several Formula One teams, including Williams, McLaren, Brabham, and Tolman. So Lotus, McLaren, and Brabham would all make him offers for testing in 1984, but he would actually choose to go with Tolman as the team to make his debut with. He uh, was there at the Brazilian Grand Prix in Rio de Janeiro, where he qualified 17th, and he scored his first world championship point when he finished sixth in his second overall race at the South African Grand Prix. So he would move over to Lotus next and stay there until um, from 85 to 87. And then after that, he would go to McLaren from 1988 to 1993, where he was partnered with then double world champion Alain Prost. And the two of them did not get along. One of the many famous rivalries in the sport there were quite a few controversial moments over the course of their time as teammates and even when they were racing for different teams because Prost would move to Ferrari in 1989, but the two of them would still kind of get caught in each other's webs. They would have issues with each other. Um, and, and so it was, it was both while they were together and while they were not. And Senna's 1988 season was particularly strong. His, this was, so this was his first championship win, his, so he would get eight wins, and that beat the old record of seven, which was jointly held by Jim Clark in 1963 and Prost in 1984. His 13 pole positions also beat the record of nine held by Nelson Piquet in 1984. So, heading back to uh, the kind of rivalry between Prost and Senna, one of the most controversial instances between them came at the Japanese Grand Prix in 1989. So, qualifying would see Senna claim his 12th pole position of the season, while Prost secured second. And Senna won the battle in qualifying, so he was doing well there, but Prost was the one who came out of the gates a lot faster during the race, and he would get ahead of the Brazilian into the first corner. So by lap 40, the Brazilian was was right there. He he hadn't gone anywhere. He was still very, very close to the Frenchman, but he wasn't able to pull off a move. Prost Carr, I believe he was with Ferrari at the time, was a lot quicker down the straights, uh, but Senna did not give up by lap 46. So six lap later, He knew he had to go for a move. And he put his McLaren inside Prost's car, so on the inside, as they braked for a chicane. But it was not the cleanest move, and the two cars smacked into each other. They crashed. And this left Prost with significant suspension damage and a stalled engine. Uh, But Senna got lucky. And even with his own faulty engine at the time and wing damage, it wasn't as bad And he was able to get help from the marshals to bump start his car. So rules were a bit different than the marshals could come in and touch the car while you were still trying to participate and they could help him get the car going again with a bump start. And so he got the car running. He cut across the chicane, got to the pits for a front wing change before getting back out on track and then getting past the leader. With three laps to go and winning the race, so but not all was was kind of well and clear. Karma came back to bite as immediately after the race, the officials opted to disqualify Senna for missing the chicane, uh, with the Brazilian also getting hit with a six-month ban, which albeit was suspended and a one hundred thousand dollar fine. So nonetheless, even though perhaps justice was served or for, for Prost kind of felt that Senna got what he deserved in making that move, it did nothing to heal the wounds between the two, nor did it endear Senna as much with the FIA, with whom he got into arguments with over the disqualification. And since the two at the time were fighting so close for the championship... It even felt like a dirtier move because it was like he was going for broke or going for a risky move that he shouldn't have or that he might not have gone for if the championship wasn't so close. So he would end up still taking the title in 1990 before sufficiently holding off Nigel Mansell in 1991 for his third title. So two more difficult seasons at McLaren would follow. Things kind of got worse after that. He fell far behind Mansell in 92 and then was beat by Prost in 93. So he left for Williams in 1994. And it was in 1994 that his tragic accident occurred. At the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, um, Senna crashed heavily. His car went straight on and collided with a concrete barrier at What the sources that I found said about 135 miles an hour. And remember how poor safety and that whole realm, how unsafe the cars were at this time compared to what we have now. Um, And during the crash, the vehicle's front wheel, front right wheel and attached suspension struck Senna on the head, causing fatal injuries. Um, and believe it or not, this was not the first incident over the course of this weekend. Um, Rubens Barrichello had crashed heavily in his Jordan the day prior, and Roland Ratzenberger had become the first driver in 12 years to be fatally injured during an official Formula One season, the, or excuse me, session the day before as well. So Senna's crash caused his, his subsequent death caused the FIA to launch a major plan to slow the F1 field, introducing new aerodynamic rules, ultimately causing a lot more conversation around driver and track safety. Um, so Senna left a really powerful legacy behind him. This was something that if you Google his name, the the talk of of how his name and legacy has has grown and expanded and followed long after his passing. It is talked about greatly. Senna was renowned throughout his career for his capacity to provide very specific technical details about the performance of the cars, the track conditions, long before the advent of telemetry. He was very analytical and dedicated to his craft. Um, kind of what Michael Schumacher has been to Sebastian Vettel is what Ayrton Senna has been to Lewis Hamilton. Um, And when Lewis equaled Senna's championship total and pole total, the Senna family gave Hamilton one of the Brazilians' actual race helmets, which was really, really quite cool. Um, And when Michael Schumacher equaled the win total of Senna at the 2000 Italian Grand Prix, Michael broke down in tears during the press conference, and it also affected the second-place man, Mika Hakkinen. Um, and so his impact has been felt greatly by so many of even the greatest of all time um, in a very, very tangible way. And I got more introduced to Senna through a documentary that was produced about him in, in 2010. I only watched it a few years ago, um, but I remember so vividly sitting in my apartment up at college in Los Angeles, watching it in my bed and and. Sobbing through the whole thing. There is a lot of footage of his racing life, his personal life, going inside the driver's briefing rooms, even at his final race when he was speaking up about how many of the drivers didn't think they should be racing after the crashes and the passing of of multiple drivers. Um, The documentary is incredible, not simply from a film perspective, as I'm a, a film buff in a lot of ways but really just in how the story is constructed and presented. They pull on such real powerful content and archival footage. And it made me really care about somebody I had only read about and never seen race in my life. The footage of the crash is incredibly difficult to watch. um, But the breadth of insight that you get into him as a person is unmatched. You get to see how much he meant to the the people of Brazil, and the masses of people, the swarms of people who came to see his funeral and honor him when his body was flown home, I think it's a must-watch 100% for F1 and motorsport fans to really understand the impact that he had, um, the way his country, his people, his family, and his faith were so meaningful to how he held himself and went about his career. It's if you've heard the quote, if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you are no longer a racing driver. Then you've heard uh, you've heard from Senna. Uh, I think he's uh, the the documentary was especially powerful for me, and it's a movie I very much cherish. So I would uh, recommend it to anybody looking to get a clearer picture of what F one is. Uh, aside from the predictable drive to survive, which I have you know I have a million issues with. Um, But that kind of closes out this episode. Uh, Senna is is somebody who clearly, clearly made a mark on on the Formula One world and will continue to with, with his connection to Lewis and many of the other drivers. So that wraps up today's episode, and I will see you again soon.